All right. Well, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Uh, it is my great pleasure to be chatting on this episode with my friend and colleague, Kevin Clancy. Uh, welcome, Kevin. Thank you, Matthew. It's, it's an honor to be joining you for your podcast. Well, yeah. Thanks for, thanks for uh, making the time. So just a little bit about how I know Kevin. Um, Kevin and I worked together for a number of years back when we um, we're both employees at the University of Minnesota, and we worked in what was called the Carlson Global Institute there. So I got to know Kevin quite well um, during that time, and we have stayed in touch. And I uh, reached out to him recently, um, knowing quite a bit about some of the interesting experiences he's had in terms of crossing cultures, and, and he was gracious enough to agree to, to chat with me for this episode. So um Kevin, do you want to just say a couple of things about yourself by way of introduction? Sure. Yes. Um, so, yeah, Matthew, like uh, when I our paths crossed is when um, I joined the Carlson Global Institute. And, you know, that for me was kind of a formative um, intersection of some of the different experiences I had had up to that point. So hmm. um after graduating college, I went to China for um, what was going to be one year and ended up being nine years uh, living and working, teaching English in China and working mm -hmm. for an educational nonprofit. And then um, moved back to Minnesota and uh, I worked for um, several years for uh, a corporation on their um, international project management team. Mm -hmm. But uh, what I was talking about with my experience at Carlson really kind of being an intersection of these different experiences is I felt being at the Carlson Global Institute was a really um, good opportunity to take the international experience I had abroad and then combine that with the experience that I had um, working in corporate project management uh, to support uh, the Carlson Global Institute and our various kind of business programming that we had abroad um, mm -hmm. or, you know, business students coming uh, to the Carlson School. So um, I was at the Carlson School for, for five years, Matthew, I think mm -hmm. just around five years. And then um, about a year and a half ago, I, I moved uh, to my alma mater, uh, which is College of St. Benedict and St. John's University, and I direct the Center for Global Education here. Uh, and so the Center for Global Education works with education abroad programming, so sending students abroad for semester and short-term programming, but also a welcoming exchange students who are coming from our partner schools for, um, for a semester to take courses on campus. Uh, and then we also have some of our partner schools coming for shorter customized programming for anywhere from, you know, two weeks to a month. Yeah, no, that's, it's been, it's been fun. The last time we chatted preparing for this conversation, it was really fun hearing about your new role. And, um, it sounds like a really great fit for you and, and, um, really an exciting opportunity. So that, that's, that's great. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's been, it's been a, a really, um, interesting journey that continues to be fun and, and uh, challenging, I'd say, at the same time. And, and I know in your introduction, Kevin, you mentioned the very significant amount of time that you've spent in China. And um, perhaps as we continue our conversation, you know, some of the um, examples we talk about or some of your experience, some of that experience in China might, might come up again. Um, yeah, I think it very well might. Cool. So in our... In our previous conversation, you know, we were talking about um, what we might want to focus on in today's conversation, and you mentioned something that I thought was really interesting, um, this idea of 
being a practitioner scholar, um, which is a term that I'm, you know, that I was um, at least somewhat familiar with, kind of working in academia and higher ed. But it was interesting, um, Kevin, that you identified that practitioner scholar um, aspect of your identity as as um, something that was important to you, um, in terms of in terms of sort of how you view the world. Um, so could you just spend a minute or two describing how you understand what being a practitioner scholar is and what that means to you? Sure, yeah. And before I expound on that further, Matthew, I just need to give credit to Tony Ogden, who mm. um, was the one who his writing really introduced that to me um, when I was at a, a forum conference, you know, for international educators. Right. Uh, he gave a presentation on... Um, practitioner scholars or scholars practitioners and I can talk about that difference in just a second um, and so that presentation that he gave really resonated for me so I have to give credit for him that that's where I first heard the term um, but in my understanding of the term it's you know in the world of education and um, you know and I think we're speaking specifically uh, to higher education in the area that I work within is international education. But, you know, I, I think especially in higher education, um, we can be wearing two hats in the roles that we do. Um, mm -hmm. One is a practitioner, uh, you know, where we are um, working on the day-to-day -day, um, logistics or even like, you know, the, the future strategic plans for um, moving an office forward or moving a program forward and, um, you know, the skill sets that's important for that. I, I think the other hat that we can often wear within higher education um, that's important and it's part of the culture is, is understanding the scholastic side. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I think one of the other hats that we can wear is, um, thinking about um, what does the space of international education mean? What does intercultural competence mean? What sort of theoretical lenses do we bring to that? Um, and, you know, how are we looking at the field? Um, and when I say the field, uh, you know, if, if you'll permit me, what I generally referring to mm -hmm. here is my experience in international education, but, but how is the field more than just logistics of getting people from A to B, but, but how are we contributing to a, a larger body of knowledge? Um, and so th that's where I, I see that, um, you know, in this space, I think it's important that we're not solely practitioners um, and that, you know, we can't solely be scholars either. And so um, that's what the term means to me. And the reason why I say practitioner scholar is um, in my day-to-day -day work, I, I'm generally more a practitioner, uh, but I try to incorporate some scholarship too. But I think also you could have some, you know, professors, for example, who may be more on the scholastic side yet um, will be involved with international education from, you know, kind of a practitioner standpoint in mm -hmm. welcoming students to campus from abroad or taking groups of students abroad. So, um, but for myself, I, I would probably choose the term uh, practitioner scholar and, and and you know since that time where I first heard that term it's something that I've kind of thought about again it resonates with me and I kind of identify with it as as a part of my own identity in this work so that that's really um, interesting and also the distinction you drew between or the maybe the continuum of somebody who might identify more as a practitioner or more as a scholar but um, that that kind of hybridity um, is really interesting, especially in thinking about um, 
sort of the cultural context of doing this kind of work. Yeah, you know, and I think that hybridity that, that you bring up, Matthew, is I think it's, it's really important within higher education that, you know, to, too easily, I think we move through these bifurcated worlds where it's, you know, the practitioners, you know, aka the staff do this, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, the scholars, aka uh, the professors do this. Uh, and nowhere in between shall they meet. Um, right. <laughs> and I'm not saying that's how it is right now, but I'd say that that's a, a pervasive traditional view. Um, and, but I think some of the greatest things, some of the greatest uh, initiatives, programs, ideas that, that I have witnessed have been when these two um, different uh, and I don't think distinct variable in some ways distinct, but but when these two variables come together, I think that that's where a lot of the, the um, to sound cliche, uh, the magic happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you talked a little bit about some of your you know previous work experiences. I mean, when would you say that your consciousness, your awareness of this idea of being a practitioner scholar? Um, when did you become aware of that as something that you identified with? Mm. Yeah, I think where I, um, you know, where I first heard it was at the forum several years ago, but, but mm-hmm. I think it, this trappings of the identity were certainly present before that. It was just the, the phrase that I heard at that conference kind of gave, uh, a definition to what I was already feeling. And so hmm. I, I think the beginnings of this were, um, you know, when I was working at uh, the, the Carlson Global Institute um, in what I would say would be, you know, a practitioner role in uh, making sure that the programming is solid, the students uh, have all the information they need to participate in the programming, that the professors that we work with are are prepared and we're supporting them so that they can bring their, um, their curriculum and their learning goals to the work. Um, so I think that uh, that was very much in the practitioner space. But then, you know, I, I also felt that, you know, from my time in China, um, that, you know, I'd often be preparing groups of students, for example, who would be getting ready to, to go to China. Uh, and so, you know, inevitably we would, you know, pull into our cultural toolbox to describe, you know, this is what the Chinese are like, high context or low context or power, dif- uh, you know, distance and things like that. And I, mm-hmm. I found, at least from my experience having lived in China, that I found them to be too general in some ways um, hmm. and kind of lacking in uh, depth of color. Um, but I, I couldn't really find theories that I felt resonated with my experience to, to really explain the situation to groups of students. And so, you know, with that, I started looking into more intercultural theory more, uh, which led me to my desire to go to graduate school to really further explore this question of how do we bring intercultural international education um, to students in a more meaningful, deep way than maybe just through generalizations. And so, you know, that led me to the PhD world, uh, where then, of course, you know, you're looking at things like epistemological lenses um, <laughs> and how you describe theory, um, which I found to be really interesting. And I really enjoyed those questions. But then going through the courses, I'd have to return to my job the next day and 
I, I had trouble trying to figure out how do I talk about epistemological approaches to international education and bringing critical lens theory when right. at the end of the day in my job, I needed to be sure that students were getting abroad safely and getting back safely. And so I felt like I was living one world during the day in my job and then another in the evening uh, when I would be t taking my classes, my grad school classes, um, where during my day job, I felt this tension of like, well, these theories, they don't really have any pertinence in reality. Uh, but then, um, you know, when I would take classes in the evening, it would be, well, you know, we're living in a very neoliberal world at a business school mm -hmm. that was too grounded in reality and we weren't doing enough to, to, to really promote change, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, I, I kind of carried this division with me feeling like it had to be one or the other um, until again, I was at the conference and heard this phrase practitioner scholar and realized that it could exist, coexist together. And in fact, there are people that were doing it. It didn't have to be one or the other. Um, and so I, in a long answer to your question, Matthew, is I feel that, you know, this identity kind of came out of my experience of having lived abroad, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. as, as, um, you know, a, a teacher in China or, you know, an administrator in China and then, um, you know, moving into a higher ed setting and then realizing that the world that I wanted to describe, I couldn't describe in the theories that were, you know, available to me, um, venturing into the PhD world and then, you know, kind of finding solace in this phrase, um, you know, practitioner, scholar, scholar, practitioner. So um, it was at that time I realized that, yeah, this is what speaks to my identity and resonates with my experience in the field. No, that's, that's really interesting the way you kind of plotted that path. And one thing that occurred to me as you were sharing is that I think this, this aspect of your identity and your cultural identity is a great example of the fact that, you know, sometimes we have aspects of our cultural identity that feel like they've been with us forever, right? So some of us might have um, a, a strong tie to, let's say, our national origin or um, an ethnic cultural group that we've, for as long as we can remember, um, you know, we've, we've felt a part of that group. And you're mm -hmm. describing an aspect of your identity that has really emerged in, in adulthood and, and evolved over the years. And I think it's, it's um, important to remind ourselves that our cultural identities, all of our cultural identities are changing and evolving. And um, there may be some that feel fairly constant for us throughout our lives. I mean, I know that for some people, religi a re a religious faith might be something that feels kind of consistent throughout their lives. And in other cases like this, it's something that kind of, can kind of emerge in time. Yeah, you know, Matthew, that, that's a really good point, and one that I agree with is, and I, I've come to see, you know, you know, in some ways, uh, you know, there will, there are some maybe static qualities of identity, but I've, I've really kind of come to see it to be a more fluid concept um, in some ways that, that it's not like you're this person necessarily forever, um, but there are some things that change with identity and cultural identity. No, Absolutely. Um, and I also like that we've we've kind of surfaced, the, you know, this idea of um, you mentioned wearing two hats, and and then the idea of hybridity. I think that um, it, it's it's nice to have 
opportunities like this to celebrate the, the sort of multiplicity of perspectives. And um, I think many of us, maybe all of us in certain ways, can relate to the idea of not feeling entirely one thing or the other, um, mm -hmm. especially when maybe we feel like we don't fit in in, in one, one camp or the other, in one cultural context or the other. And so I think it's great that you're talking about an aspect of your identity that is essentially a merging of two different things. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so I just wanted to kind of point that out for folks that might listen to this episode as well. Yeah, you know, and, and, and I, one of the other things that I think about within international education is we talk a lot about, um, you know, how do we bridge difference? How do we reach out to, uh, to people from different backgrounds in, a, in an authentic and genuine way? Um, and the irony of it in the field is, is while we practice it or we explore it in our scholarship, um, I think there's a lot of space actually to, to bridge those differences of understanding between, you know, practitioners and scholars within our field. So I think that there's an opportunity to, to, to walk the walk and talk the talk that we do every day, um, just even within our own spaces. Absolutely. Um, so in hearing you talk about... Um, your experiences and, and especially related to this practitioner scholar kind of identity, um, I'm getting the sense and, and I'm wanting to know if I'm right on this, that, I mean, that this, this aspect of your identity clearly comes into play in, you know, work settings, um, you know, as, as a doctoral student, um, in professional settings, but my sense is, and correct me if I'm wrong, that this also may come into play in other parts of your life, just as you go through, your daily routine, whether you're at work or not, that you kind of have these two lenses running at the same time. Is that a fair assessment? I, yeah, I think that is a fair assessment, yes. Um, mm. And it will kind of, you know, th there might be kind of one aspect of the identity that's more pronounced at different times depending on what I'm doing and working on. But, yes, it's not just in a professional setting, but I, I think the same... Um, questions that you have, you know, through the course of scholarship or is, you know, something that kind of stays with you. And so when things come up, you, you learn to kind of question it in a different way and think about it in a different way. Um, and I mean, this is a simplified uh, explanation, but I think like in the practitioner world, there are other times where even not at work, a problem comes up and I think about, well, what can we do to solve this? How do we tackle it versus, um, mm -hmm. you know, what do we think about it? And, right. and again, that's a, that's in some ways a gross generalization. Cause I don't mean to say that someone who's a practitioner never questions, <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> what does this mean? Or someone who's, uh, in a scholastic world never thinks about, well, what do we actually do about this? You know, uh, what are the, st what are the action steps on this? But, um, but, but I, I do think that, you know, I'm very thankful for having had experiences in both places that I think do impact the way that I approach things on a day-to-day -day basis. So you've, you've hinted at some of this already, Kevin, but I'm curious if particular example or experience comes to mind of when all that we've kind of been talking about up to this point, uh, you know, especially in terms of this aspect of your identity, um, the ways in which this practitioner scholar aspect has perhaps shaped sort of some of your values and the way you view the world. Um, can you think of an example of a time when 
this aspect of your identity was sort of at the forefront and, and, and you recognized it was playing a role in, in, in that interaction that you had? Sure. Yeah. Just, um, you know, just recently, uh, in meeting with faculty in preparing programs, you know, to go abroad in the next academic year, um, you know, I find myself within the conversations kind of switching between these two roles to, uh, you know, for example, really getting excited to talk with them about, um, you know, how are they approaching intercultural learning in their syllabus? Um, and, and what are, you know, some of the, the, what, the theories that we can bring in to instruct students on this question of intercultural mm. competence or how are we presenting intercultural competence and what is the, um, the scholars that we're using to explain this to students and, you know, are there things that, that I could take from my own graduate school experience to maybe, you know, round that experience out. And so I, that's something that I get really excited about, but also if let's say, you know, I have an hour meeting with faculty, um, I could easily spend more than an hour, you know, speaking about those things where I have to also balance the time to say, you know, how much time do I devote to talking about the learning goals and the curriculum and the syllabus and, and being a, a, you know, a resource on that? Uh, and then at what point do we have to turn the conversation to um, what at what time during the calendar year are they going to offer that and how many credits mm -hmm. is that course going to be worth? And then uh, at what point does it need to get to the, the registrar? Um, and then, you know, uh, how will they be compensated and at what rate will they be compensated and, and how many students do we allow in the program? And so then there's the actual logistics that, you know, to be honest, Matthew, I probably spend, if I to rate the percentages and use this as like a, or microcosm uh -huh. of my whole experience, I'd probably say 75% is spent on the logistics. Um, mm -hmm. You know, 25% is spent on, um, you know, maybe talking about the, the, the learning goals and how we can further student learning. Um, but, you know, in that 75%, again, there's just the logistics of getting this entered into the system, making sure that it aligns with all of our uh uh, staff departments from academic advising to financial aid to, you know, student accounts, um, to making sure that we have proper insurance <laughs> for the students when they travel abroad. Right. Um, so it's, I think finding that, uh, and I realize that the, the nature of my roles, I'm going to be spending more time on, on the logistics side. Um, but you know, my hope is, is that as you know, I get better at managing the logistics and maybe I'll have more time to, to spend on those questions or maybe, you know, something that, that I would really welcome uh, and uh, the chance to do is maybe to participate on some research with a faculty member on their program. Um, yeah. And so, you know, it, it's, it's, it's balancing that, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm keenly aware that, that my main responsibility is making sure that students go abroad safely and come back safely. <laughs> Right, those are those are two very important priorities in in your work. Yeah, for sure. that's 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 the key <laughs> metric of success. Yes. Um, so this is a bit of an aside, but um, I, you know, as, as I mentioned earlier, I know Kevin quite well, and, and I know his wife Kaishan. <laughs> um, and uh, I think it's um, interesting as I think about this, Kevin, that um, your significant other um, is also in academia and and she herself is a member of the faculty at a different institution. 
Mm-hmm. And so I, I wonder if um, it, it's interesting for me just to think about how you were in, in, in my knowing Kashan, I can see, I could imagine she might also um, see value in this idea of practitioner, scholar, scholar, practitioner, knowing some of the great work that she does both academically, but also kind of out in the world. Um, and so I just, it, it just occurred to me, it's really interesting that you were both kind of coming at this, but from slightly different perspectives. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I know, Matthew, that's a really interesting observation. Um, so yeah, and, and first of all, um, yeah, Kaishan, um, who also, you know, can speak to this issue as well as many other different issues of, of you know, navigating identities in the United States, she'd be happy to be a podcast guest sometimes. So, I was just so thinking she, I should have her on. <laughs> yeah, so she told that to me. The But the other thing is, um, yes, you know, so, you know, Kaishan is, is a Chinese professor, um, mm-hmm. you know, at a large institution, and so she you know, it is very, and she's tenure track. And so she's very much kind of, um, uh, graded, if you will, on her scholarship and her approach to, you know, academics in the classroom. Um, and yet, you know, she, she also makes time where she takes one to two groups of students abroad a year on, um, on programming. And so she's also kind of actively engaging in those field studies and that practitioner piece. And so, um, yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot of similarities there. We also have some interesting, you know, dinner table conversations where I will share uh, some of my frustrations in trying to kind of explain policies to maybe faculty who aren't as receptive to them. And then she'll describe to me kind of her frustration in dealing with potentially staff who are telling her different policies that she has to follow. So, you know, I, I think hopefully through that we gain empathy for each other in our different positions. But I, I think um, also, you know, um, reminds me that when I'm frustrated in certain situations, I, I think about, you know, um, you know, my conversations with Kaishan and, and it, it gives empathy also, mm. you, know, you know, to those conversations too. Um, but, but yeah, you know, I, you know, in, I think looking at Kaishan as an example, too, it's also showing that, you know, she values her scholarship, um, you know, and again, it's something that she, you know, has to do because that's what she needs to do as part of a a tenure track uh, job, of course. Um, but then she really appreciates not just the teaching of Chinese, but, but how do we get students to interact with it in a really, you know, meaningful way um, through these experiences abroad. So, um, yeah, but, but, you know, her job is, you know, at the end of the day, she's going to be weighted more on the, the scholastic side of it. And at the end of the day, I'm going to be kind of judged more on the, the logistic side of it. But, but I think that the beauty of our positions is that I think we can each bring part of each other's world in to kind of, you know, balance out our roles. Yeah, no, that's, um, it's really interesting. And I, Kevin is way too humble to ever say this, but I, I've always viewed you and Kaishan as kind of this dynamic duo. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> you guys are a great team, I think. <laughs> Thank you, Matthew. That, that's very kind to say, and at the best of times we are. So, uh, <laughs> but, but no, you know, but I, I, I think that, We've also learned from things when, when things haven't gone well, we've kind of learned through that together. And, you know, I, hopefully you'll have to ask Kaishan this, but from my own perspective, I'd say that we're able to kind of support each other through, you know, our 
challenges in higher ed and our, you know, PhD program and, um, you know, working, we both kind of work within international education. So it's good to have a, a co-conspirator in that. Absolutely. Um, well, the last thing I just wanted to touch on, Kevin, before we wrap up is, um, you know, in, in the, the model, uh, the ICCI model, you know, I talk about, and others have certainly talked about, you know, the cognitive dimension of doing this kind of cross-cultural work, which you've, you've already talked quite a lot about, the behavioral dimension, the ways in which we, the things we say and the things we do, which you've also referenced. And then the other is the sort of the more affective or emotional component of um, doing this cross-cultural work. And in this case, maybe crossing between practitioner and scholar or some um, combination thereof. And I'm just curious if, you know, as you shuttle between these different um, contexts, um, you know, if, if, you, if you've ever had kind of an emotional component, whether that's, you know, joy or um, anxiety or whatever it, whatever it might be. And, and if not, um, I don't want to push that point, but uh, I was curious if that's ever come up for you. Sure. Yeah. No, I, I think that, you know, for me, the, the most joy that, you know, that I feel in my position and what, what I'm, you know, what I'm really excited about the, the position that, that I have now um, is that I think I'm, I'm able to, you know, in theory, um, have both of those roles, you know, where I'm able to, um, to, to be involved with leading an international education office and, and supporting the logistics works and helping to, to kind of plan new strategies for how we can do that better uh, and, and respond to that. Like I, I really, um, I, I really love that work because at the end of the day, I, I think the transformative experiences, and you can debate what transformation means, and maybe that's the scholastic side, but the yeah. transformative experiences come from, you know, those experiential interactions. And so I, I love working on that. But the other part of my position that I, I really am thankful for is my interaction with faculty. Mm -hmm. um, and to, you know, and, and I think also potentially being in a liberal arts institution, a smaller liberal arts institution, there, there's a lot of interaction um, from, you know, supporting committee work with faculty to, to uh, being able to, you know, give insight to global learning goals. Um, and so I, I'd say that the joy that I feel, uh, Matthew, is when, you know, kind of both of those are in balance. Mm. Um, I'd say that where it gets maybe anxiety or frustration mm -hmm. is when it, it can be largely out of balance. And so, hmm. you know, and I think that comes with a job like there are times where it's just heavy logistics, where right now we're getting ready for a very, very large orientation of students. Hmm. And so there's not going to be a lot of time at all for sitting around and talking about learning goals and right. what's our approach right. to our culture yeah. and confidence. We've, we've got to get packets of information together and get it done. So, you know, these times can be stressful, um, but knowing that that's not what I'm doing all the time, but that eventually we'll be able to take a breath uh, and reset and, you know, get to ask those questions mm -hmm. um, and dive into that. But then having a chance then to come back again and to how do we make these uh, approaches to international education real and manifest mm -hmm. uh, in the programming that we do. So. You know, I'd say that 
the, the greatest joy that I find is, is when they're in balance. And that's like one of the things that I'm honored to have. Um, the, the role that I do is, is that um, I, I think there is that potential balance in right. the role. <laughs> no, absolutely. No, and I really like that you, that you brought up balance because I think that's probably something a lot of people can relate to. I mean, just in life in general, but also in terms of kind of um, their own awareness of the various aspects of their of their own cultural identities and and experiences. Um, and so, I'm I'm glad that glad that you mentioned that. And I think that's probably a good place for us to to wrap up. I'd just like to thank you again, Kevin, for um, for your time and your your thoughtfulness and and the way that you've articulated some of these things that can sometimes feel very um, sort of in the air and hard to, hard to hold on to. So I've learned a lot from our conversation and I, I'm going to have a lot to think about after, after today. So thank you so much. Well, and Matthew, I want to thank you too, because, you know, reflecting back to, um, you know, when I first met you, which I think was 2011, 2012, mm-hmm. that um, right. you know, at the Carlson Global Institute, you had also come from, um, you know, a, a, a practitioner, you had done some practitioner work that you had been doing, mm-hmm the PhD program. And so I, I think I saw in you a, a fellow sojourner to, to kind of help uh, guide and be a sounding board for those questions. And so I, you know, I really am thankful and grateful, Matthew, for, for you having been part of and continuing to be a part of my journey. Well, well, same here, Kevin. And uh, maybe I'll have to reach out to Kaishan and see if she can do a future episode. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and you, you can, uh, you can see if what I'm telling you is actually correct. Or not. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. I think that she, she'd be very open to it and uh, grateful for the opportunity as well. So, so thank you, Matthew. Yeah. Well, great. Thank you, Kevin. And we'll talk soon. Okay. okay. Sounds yeah. good.